so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. From growing up in Jamaica, Donald Kelly made it to Idaho, where he actually began his career as an inside sales rep over at Dish Network in 2004, man. And in 2012, during his time as a tech seller, he started a little podcast called The Sales Evangelist to help B2B sellers accelerate their career. And today, that little podcast has crossed over 4 million downloads to date, allowing Donald to be recognized as a Salesforce top influencer and by LinkedIn as a core contributor to all things inside sales. And now his company trains individual sellers and sales teams across the world on two things, how to build and convert pipeline. But more importantly, people, his book, Sell It Like a Mango, is creating a ripple effect across the B2B sales industry. And today, you know what? I pinned him down, man. I said, listen, bro, I need you to come and talk to the community specifically on how to communicate your solution and sell it like a mango. What's up, brother? How you doing? Man, I love that intro. Thank you. Thank you. This is recorded, right? I can steal that back. You can, bro. It's all yours. (laughs) I mean, I want 1% royalties for whatever you use it for, but yeah, it's recorded. (laughs) Fair enough. We can do that, man. No, I'm really pumped. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing and having a good little conversation here with you. Dude, the kid from Jamaica did good. Rude boy. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, do your best. Jamaican accent. I want you to say welcome to the influential communicator in your best Jamaican accent. Welcome to the influential influencer podcast. He's <laughs> <laughs> in. It's the influential. You, you messed me up, bro. You messed me up. <laughs> so listen, man. Listen. Okay, look. I'm a Jamaican. Okay, I'm just being serious. I haven't. I haven't went back to Jamaica since like since 2017. I left when I was nine. So my yada accent, no. You know, it doesn't sound too yardy. <laughs> it's so good, man. It's good. I love it. I love it. I love the energy, man. I've never been to Jamaica, yeah. but I can imagine the energy of the people, the culture and all that good stuff is just infectious, man. Yeah. It, it, you see, one of the interesting things with Jamaicans, they're very passionate about like, and I speak as a, and I speak from like an outsider because again, I left when I was like nine, but you know, when I, when you look at like, you know, watch little videos or just hear stuff about the culture and just like, uh, you know, things with Jamaicans, they're, they, they tend to just 
sometimes go a little bit extra, but they're very, very passionate people, just like culturally. You look at like carnival, and this is something that's just like typical in the Caribbean, right? And like anything that they do, it's like we're going over top for this. And I think that idea has resonated with me and you know, I've borrowed some of that like culturally and been able to apply it. So you see it a lot. Um, they go over the top, man. Well, dude, I'm Indian. So over the top is like my oh, middle bro. name, right? Like it, <laughs> we love it, right? Everything is extra, man. My name should be Ravi Extra, extra Rajani, you know? <laughs> but listen, man, you know, you've done some incredible yeah. things over the past few years. When I initially saw you, I think I'm pretty sure it was through Victor Antonio. I think we spoke about this before. And it was on a video from the Outbound Sales Conference. And I was like, who's this guy, man? Is he an actor? And I looked him up and I was like, oh, it's, Don it's Donald <laughs> Kelly. Uh, he works in the sales space. And somehow we connected, brother. And I've been on your show. And now it's dope to have you on mine. But listen, man, your book set it like a mango, has been years in the making. And I remember you saying, I think it was about five to eight years, right? Yes, yeah, about five years altogether. We, funny thing, this weekend, we went for a long um, drive, uh, my family and I. We like we were in South Florida, so we were driving on um, next to the water. And we were down to, went past this, this restaurant spot on the water where the publishers actually took me out in 2015 to like, you know, to inceptualize this idea of me writing a book. And that was way back then. And it was just like really cool to go back and see that 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 beginning spot. And now I want to go back with my wife and go actually bring the book and go sit and have a dinner there again, because now it's full circle. The book is done and published. <laughs> Dude, it's incredible that you've done that, man. And also the audio book as well, right? Which is is incredible that you've done both. And, you know, in it's very interesting. Inside of the book, you speak about something called your platinum rule, or rather the platinum rule. Yeah, teach us how this rule or principle can really apply to communicating a solution in the B2B sales space in 2023. It is absolutely vital. And you got me all standing up here even more so because if you think about it, Ravi, like there are so many people selling the same exact thing that you're selling. And it becomes very easy for the mass production system for the way that we do sales nowadays to for us to sell according to the way that we like to sell rather than the way that people like to buy. Let's back up and talk about what the platinum rule exactly is and then come back and, and bridge the gap between these two now. Mm. The golden rule states that Treat others the way that you would like to be treated. But if I would go to you, Ravi, and I say, Ravi, tell me about your, what is your favorite ice cream? And you'll probably tell me it's vanilla all day long. Vanilla. You vanilla too? Yeah, me. Yeah. I, I love vanilla. Loving it. But let's say I love pistachio and I'm a big pistachio ice cream fan. And I believe that everybody should eat pistachio ice cream. And I give you pistachio ice cream because I like it. You probably will take it because you're a nice guy, but you probably won't eat it. You probably give it away. However, if I gave you some rich, creamy, organic vanilla ice cream, freshly made, like this is just awesome deliciousness, super creamy, and it is like the best tasting thing that you've ever had when it comes to ice cream, you're probably going to be so happy and grateful for that. You're probably going to tell people about it. You're probably going to, you know, connect with me again, you know, and, and have further conversation because if I gave you pistachio, you don't want to talk to me again because you're probably like, oh man, Donald's going to ask me how the pistachio was and I want to lie to him. So you try to avoid me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you, you're, you're going to, if it's vanilla though, you're going to be like, bro, where did you get that? You got to send me that company. And I'll say, nah, bro, it's a family recipe. I'll take care of it every time. 
you're going to be connected to me because I'm giving you something that you want and not something that I want. I might hate vanilla ice cream, but because you like it, I need to give you what you want because buyers are not going to come to your company just because you need to fulfill a quota. Buyers are going to work with your organization because you could solve a problem you, that they have. However, everybody nowadays is blasting out saying, we can fix your stuff. We can fix your stuff. And you're throwing out a bunch of pistachio ice cream, but not a lot of people are saying, Ravi, I recognize that you're, I listened to your podcast the other day with Dave Schillings and you mentioned three things that you're working on. Number four was about, uh, number three was around hiring your next round of BDRs. And I have a solution that I think may be able to help you how we help Google find 15 BDRs that are, you know, killing it right now. Would you be open to hearing that. That's vanilla ice cream. Because, and what I mean in the sense is that that's something that I want, that I care about. And it's not because, hey, we have awesome recruitment program. You should come with our company because we're best in industry. That's pistachio. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see where I'm going at with that? Dude, I love come it. Come on, give me some. I, dude, I love it, man. And I'll tell you why. Because it's influence, it's influence 101, right? Find out what somebody wants and give it to them. And you know what's fascinating? This actually, and I'm curious to know if you see it this way, but it does sometimes... I'm looking at it actually from a personal development perspective, meaning if we remove ego from the situation and not think about me, 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 and what we want from a conversation or situation, and we switch it, uh, switch it to Witham, you know, what's in it for me? If we switch it from that mindset of what does our prospect or individual want from us versus what we want for them, it, it, it shifts into this conversation of, ah, oh, man, you make me feel so seen, heard, and understood, right? Yeah, it does. And I think, again, though, since no, I don't want to say nobody, a majority of people are not doing that these days. It becomes, it, it behooves us if we're going to be effective sales, sales professional, effective influential uh, folks, we need to make sure that we understand what's, what can help move people. And it's not anything difficult. I think the bar is so low nowadays that it's important, that it's it's easy for us almost. And I want to back this up. And this may sound really bad. <laughs> Say it. And I uh, really controversial in a sense. But it, it, it's, it, I guess it's not, 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 not that big, but you know, I got to build it up. But I feel that it's easier now to get a hold of a prospect following this than it has ever been in history. Not saying it's easier now to get in hold of a prospect in general. If you send garbage, you're going to get the garbage result. However, if somebody sends me an email right now, let's just say if we're looking for a new marketing program, we just did some hiring and we did all of that stuff. So we're good to go. So don't bombard me, guys. But let's say if we did reopen our marketing, getting a new website was my top priority right now. And I expressed this on a podcast or, you know, someone have seen this and, and they saw some of these things that I'm, I'm doing. And if they, you know, use some intent-based me, uh, tools and they see that I'm out there fishing for web development and, and uh, you know, marketing websites, and they were able to personally reach out to me with that type of a messaging in an email, I'm going to answer that email. I'm going to open it. I'm probably going to respond to that email as opposed to somebody who just bombard me. So I, I feel with like, you know, a bunch of their garbage, I feel even more so than ever right now because no one is really doing it as much. If you were able to personalize an email, I'm not saying again to merge tag, I'm talking about you personalizing the email, a video with content, with things relative to a prospect. I feel it's easier to get a hold of those individuals now than it has ever been because not a lot of people are doing that personalization to that level. And I'm putting that out there. Maybe I'm dramatic again, but I, I just feel that same way. And I've seen it with people that have, we've responded responded to our emails. Brother, I feel you, man. And I don't know if this resonates with you, but I'm kind of sick of this concept of scale. It sounds sexy, but what I think ends up happening is people forget about intimacy and connection. And if I look at 
dude, like the the amount of times I've been pitched on email actually in the past week, it's been crazy. There's been no intimacy. And I just, I actually would love, like if somebody cold called me or cold emailed me with some personalization, I'd be like, take my credit card, man. Here you are. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love it. Because yeah, we're void of that. And the other part to that too, here's this crazy part about scaling. Because we're trying to, you ever see somebody just try too hard and you're like, bro, you just, you know, stop. You're, you're trying too hard. Yeah. The same concept I feel here too. We're trying too hard when in actuality, if you were to really, if you send out, a, say, you know, 100 emails compared to sending out like 10 really hyper-focused emails, I think that's going to make you more scalable in these days because you're probably, your conversions are probably going to be a lot higher than the mass emails. You probably get like, say, at least 20% responded from those personalized emails as opposed to like that 5 to 10% from the, you know, the mass emails. And there's just something to it. Now, there's a combination of where you can do both in a sense, but we got to make sure we're implementing that. And, and we got to make sure we're, we're implementing that personalization. And personalization could be done through the form of like videos, through the form of uh, engaging with people on LinkedIn, could be the form of actually adding sales mail, uh, snail mail to your process, or it could just even be the, the simple process of just like in um, calling someone and, you know, their direct dial and having that direct quick intro that's going to help them to understand that you knew, know something about them. We call that the poor, the poor or point of reference, meaning that I'm putting time back to something that you have done. Again, go back to the podcast. It's an easy one because if most of us are going for, you know, mid, mid-level organizations to enterprise-level organization, they are, those executives are probably putting content out via podcast or being interviewed. Or even if it's not them, it's something that their company, their executives are doing higher ups. And you can use that messaging in your outreach towards them because if it comes from the top, it's trickling down to their department. Um, again, if executives at Microsoft say we're doing this, I'm sure the marketing team that you you probably are going after are probably going to recognize and say, hey, you know, this is what's coming from the top. And this person pointed out what our CEO is saying. That's hyper-personalized. Let me see how they can potentially help us. Anyways, I'm, we're going too far on this, but I just get pumped about it. I just feel it's it, it makes a, such a big difference to be able to be effective in, in your communication in that way. It does. And for those listening to this right now, let's break it down. You know, Donald is really speaking about the way we communicate with our prospects. So the first thing he said was really focus on intent based prospecting right so you're not convincing you're influencing and we're going to get to that in a second Donald because I know you you're a big fan of um educating versus convincing but I digress okay and then point number two is really focusing on quality versus quantity because you need to know what good looks like and then number three is then doing that at scale and build or I suppose being very unique in your process so you know dude when it comes to convincing versus influencing. I know you're big on this, okay? So let's take it in the context of somebody looking to influence somebody in a sales presentation or demo and get the point across that, listen, I am the only solution to solving your problem. Talk to me about this concept of convincing versus influencing. Yeah, so let's go back to this con the, the convincing in general. Convincing is not necessarily a bad thing. The word is, I mean, I'm grateful we have the word in our vocabulary. I think, however, the way that we we shift our, shift our paradigm, adjust our paradigm around that, the word convincing, and also the method of how we go about convincing, that's where we have challenges. Convincing someone to buy your product is a bad idea. Repeat that one more time for the folks in the back. Convincing someone to buy your product is a bad idea. And just to go back to that again, you are convincing them or you're attempting, you really necessarily can't convince them. You're trying to, you're trying your best. 
However, what I've seen best is you've helped influence someone or help educate someone enough that they convince themselves to make that investment. That makes a big difference. Let me give you an example of when somebody is convinced to buy something. I've been there and you've been there where someone is just like relentless and may have been super persuasive and they, they try to convince you to purchase a product or whatnot, then they uh, essentially you got sold something. Like maybe say it's a water bottle. I don't need the water bottle, but you were just you're just so persuasive and you couldn't persistent that you sold it to me and I signed up and and whatnot. I don't want it. So when somebody asks me, Donald, where'd you get this water bottle? Well, I was sold this water bottle. I might return that right away because it's not mine. I wasn't a part of that process. I didn't need it per se. I wasn't, I I didn't see a, a reason for it, a reason to keep it. I was convinced. However, if you educate me or influence me enough that I convince myself to make that investment, that makes such a big difference because now I own it. Anyone who says I was sold a car, they're not going to keep that. I was sold this software. They're not going to keep that. If I made this investment, I purchased this software. I purchased this $50,000 car. I purchased this house. I purchased this coaching program. You feel possessive. You feel ownership. And you feel that you're going to get the best benefit from that. That's where we need to go. So how do you go about influencing? And obviously, your podcast does a fantastic job of that. And a lot of your content, when you share, like, you know, utilize stories, but I can tell you that when I feel like I've convinced myself by a you know, great guide who helped me, that individual was able to point out things that I didn't necessarily know about or I didn't pay attention to. So let me give you an example again. So let's say someone points out, you know, Donald, do you drink enough water? And I say, yeah, I drink a lot of water. And then they say, well, Donald, you know, I, I know you're in South Florida and obviously water is critical and important to you. Um, do you drink the, you know, tap water? Do you drink like the, the you know, purified water? Like, oh, no, I don't drink tap water. Why is that? Because it got so many contaminants and all the chlorine. It's just really, you know, it's controversial here in South Florida. I don't do that. But Donna, what if I was to tell you that you're drinking, you're consuming more of that tap water on a day-to-day basis without even realizing you've produced, you know, you know, you're producing, you're drinking up to four or five cups of that water every single day and not even realizing. Like how? You know, when you take a shower, your skin is the biggest tissue in your, or biggest tissue in your body, on your body and the organ. And when you take a bath, the water is actually consumed inside of you. It, it goes through your pores and you drink that water essentially without consuming it via your mouth. Did you, are you familiar with that? Oh no, I didn't realize that. Don't feel bad because a lot of people didn't know this. What we do, we share ways how you can be educated on the water around you and how you can fix that. If I can share with you three or five minutes how you can fix it, would you be at least open to hearing me? Sure. Now I am educated and I want to learn about what this guy is doing with water. This guy actually gave me a pitch on that. Some dude on my podcast. It was really cool. Met him at this event. But the point though is That's an education, which then leads me to be able to understand something, which then helps me to convince myself. And now I'm influenced to be able to make a decision rather than being forced to or uh, conned or tricked into it by some, you know, the Ben Franklin close or some urgency push or anything like that. Am I making sense on this here, Robbie? Yeah, bro. And I love it, man, because, you know, it sounds as though from what you're talking about is being able to authentically, and I hate that word, but authentically... Actually, I love that word. I think it's overused, but I digress. Authentically find blind spots and educate your buyer so you're seen as a trusted advisor, right? And I love that, man. I love that whole conversation because it feels so much nicer than trying to shove product features down somebody's throat in the hope that they buy, man. It it sucks. It's it's really icky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it is. Cut. Pause or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have 
some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead and story selling is alive because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. Nobody leaves those conversation like the buyer, the sellers leave those conversation and they feel like I've won. Um, you know, I got this, but they're all looking over their shoulder because they're worried that this person will return their product or, you know, or, or whatnot, or try to cancel. Um, and then you look at it in the, the buyer just feels disgusted. Like they were just robbed or feel like, you know, this, I don't know. I felt like tricked. I didn't feel good about that. Nobody leaves feeling excited about it. And I, when I did door to door security sales, we had a lot of people who were convincing people to purchase solutions and, and security systems. But in that industry, one of the things that they have is you get part of your money now and then part of your money in the back end because of that problem. Because some folks will, you know, say you get $400 for uh, every security system that somebody install, you know, that you install. So if I go out and I sell that security system and I convince people, and these people are not necessarily convincing themselves that they need a security system, they're going to get, you know, maybe in a month or two weeks to say, I don't need this. I want it out of here. That salesperson is not getting money on the back end, so they're not getting all of their money. And that, you know, they have those procedures in place for that. And it's sad that situations like that have to be there. But the point is, though, when the folks who do a great job, they have high retention, they have their their uh, customers actually go tell other people that they need to get security systems, the whole block might buy it because they're convincing themselves they need this anyways. But it's just a perfect example of how that relationship makes such a big difference in the long run. Hmm. And I like it because you're talking about intentional behavior to produce long term results. And, you know, one of the things that I really believe, and I think you share a similar philosophy too, is, is, you know, in order to impact somebody, you need to learn how to influence them first. And in your book, you talk about something called micro commitments to influence people to take action. So let's go back to, for example, the water bottle example. You're speaking to that person who's become a trusted advisor. How can that salesperson then use micro commitments to inspire that person to take action? Yeah, because the, they got to go back to the understanding of human nature at this point. You know, I, I think sometimes we're like objects that are not in motion. It's really difficult to get that pro- object in not in motion to actually take motion. Even when you are convinced about you, you, you convince yourself that you need to make a change. It's just it's really hard to to make that movement. And here's the thing that I've come to realize. And again, it's the biggest objection that people have and the biggest uh, competitor is status quo. So going back to this, your, your question with it now, how do we go about helping people with micro commitments to make that change? It's just giving them an opportunity to actually do things. Um, so let's say, for instance, we're going back to our water bottles or selling water in the house or, or whatnot. What we might say, the first thing we recognize, and this is a B2C comparison, and we can do a B2B example, but a B2C example comparison could be like you tell the person, 
hey, I understand making a decision like this is not going to be, uh, is, is one of the, it's a challenging decision um, to make an investment in switching up your water and the way that you're using water. It's not always easy to make this decision by ourselves. Who else would be offended if you were to make this decision on your own that may impact a family? might say my spouse at that point. Let's go ahead. Can we set up a time to have your spouse join us for that meeting? It's a micro commitment because I know in order for the deal to close, you want to get multiple people in part of that process. This is in the B2B sense. You're getting all the decision makers together. So it's a micro commitment on that, on that side. The other thing that you can do simply is then you give a micro commitment is to test it out. If I were to get you set up to test out the water, and don't do this for everybody because obviously I know everybody doesn't want to make the change. But if we were to get you, a, a, you know, to get you to start using without any cost at all, would you at least be open to take, taking advantage of and testing it out? Of course, they're going to be. They're going to say that. So it's a micro commitment, something small. It's not the big commitment of making a purchase. It's committing to one, getting your partner in for the next meeting or two, committing you to get testing out the product. In a B2B sense, what the way that we see these micro commitments, and a lot of us know to do them, but we don't do them effectively. Every meeting you finish should have a next commitment, and that's to meet with you for the next step. Or uh, have a, you know, sometimes sellers might say, yeah, we're just going to send some times over or whatnot. No, let's get take care of that right now in the meeting and get that micro commitment met. Next thing might be is a demo or getting the other team members that are involved. One of the micro commitments that we see when we sell to some of the larger organizations and to get them to, they may not necessarily sign the contract, but I like to use this is what we call an NDA. And before I go any further, I want you to talk to your attorney and to make sure this is something that you guys can do in your organization or your counsel. But the NDA typically, it's not necessarily a big binding, but it's a commitment between you and the organization that you're working with that we're not going to not going to take your ideas and give them to anybody else. We're going to keep that. But when you do that subconsciously to the person, that micro-commitment helps them to feel that there's something that is serious or something that is lasting with that. So when we get to a demonstration phase, we'll get to that uh, deeper discussion with our clients and you know we have multiple stakeholders a part of it. I bring that up because again, I know some people have, we train a lot of organization. I want them to think that we're taking their stuff and going passing on to their competitors. But that allows for them to feel comfortable, feels helps us to feel comfortable. It's not signing a contract, but it's pretty darn close to it. Or we say we are willing to sign an NDA as well. And then by us doing that, it gives them an opportunity to just feel that we're serious with them. And it's a simple little commitment, but it helps to make the bigger commitment that much more easier because they see that we're serious along that way. We're making sense with this here. Yeah, bro. I love it. And I think for the audience, what I'd love for them to walk away with is what was the story of you selling mangoes in Jamaica and uncovering the idea of micro commitments? Like, did you get people to buy one and then they would come back for the whole box or would you get them to try one for free? And they'd go, damn, this is good. Where are the rest of them at? Like, how did this concept come about for you when it comes to the origins of this framework, when it comes to selling it like a mango? So this, this one wasn't necessarily from the mango per se, but there was someone that we watched. My family and I went back to Jamaica and we saw this lady in action. She was just like a selling machine. She probably was like 65, 70. And she's been doing this for a minute. Anyone who goes to a, you know Caribbean or any of these foreign countries, you're going to get hit with the tourist traps areas. And my family, we wanted to, we purposely did it because <laughs> we we're trying to find souvenirs for everybody when yeah, we went back yeah. to visit, right? Um, so now I'm an adult and grown up. But one of the things that I saw and it re, re, reignited the experiences from a uh, kid but this lady, she was, uh, when we got to her stall and we, 
And the story about how we, why we weren't with her versus others is another story. But we went to her stall, Ravi, and it was just like all the other stalls. The same products look like they're all made in China and they <laughs> have the same Jamaican color on it. But she did something that was really cool to pull us in, in which she wasn't trying to sell to us. She just was, she just smiled and looked at us and we just made contact and we just went over and we started talking to her. She didn't go for her biggest expensive things, actually. She just said, the first commitment, the micro commitment that she gave us, she's like, would you like to step inside and go see? And if you've been to like a flea market or like a storage unit, and you have that storage, it, that's pretty much like the stalls, how they work. They were just like a bunch of these. And then we said, sure, we're willing to go inside. And we stepped in and we started to look. She didn't follow us. She stayed outside. And then she was just like letting us do that. So that's the first micro commitment that we decided to make um, to, to get in there. Um, the second thing that we did was then she looked over and then she actually, she tried to prompt us and she showed us her smallest item, bro. It was like, it was, I mean, she had all these big things in it, but she went and got like a, it's like freaking keychain. And she showed us a keychain. And then she told us about this little keychain and then, you know, how, you know, how it is and, and whatnot and why this may be a good little gift. And we're like, man, I feel like what, $10 or $5, that's fine. Easy, cheap little thing. But then after that, we started, since we got to the keychain, we started looking at other things. And then we started to test out, looking at some of the bigger things. And then after that, she started, uh, you know, kind of guiding us to some other stuff. And by the time we're done, it didn't feel sleazy, bro. She was just educating us and telling us about stuff and telling us stories and, and all these things. And started off with these little things, get in the stall first and then get this little, pro, you know, take a peek at this little thing first and, and then so forth. And it just kind of come, you know, confounded where we wanted to get the bigger stuff. We wanted to work with her. And that just helped us along the way. But if she came out the gate and said, buy the big, you know, big gift here for $500, we probably wouldn't have. But everyone in the family bought stuff from her that day. Because of the simple fact, she didn't go overboard and try to sell all of us. She just tried to educate us and help us with the little micro commitments, little by little, one step at a time. And it made such a big difference. And you go back to like saying like, uh, you know, when I try to, my mango story, try to sell mango, I was awful at it at the beginning because that just led to the whole impetus of the book, right? Because in a sense, I figured that if I had good mangoes, everybody would buy them. But everybody had the same great mangoes. <laughs> I was the problem. I wasn't an effective seller. I was an effective communicator. I didn't help, know how to help people influence themselves or to help them convince themselves to make an investment. I just thought it was going to come right away. And but learning from these smart people and seeing what they did—that's what helped um, over you know over time um, in it. And especially like the the micro commitments of like you know we had a shop at our house in Jamaica, like a little tienda, like convenience store essentially. And one of the ways that we applied the micro commitment was, you know, have some of the, the little things that were going to get them into the store first, you know, that there, like say like the candy or the, you know, the little stuff you see it in the grocery store nowadays, but get them there and then they will make the bigger investments and it makes them come back or, you know, you, you buy one, get one type stuff, you know, give them little, little things. In a B2B sense, how I've stolen that idea, I've borrowed it from my experience selling B2C and from my experience in Jamaica is the products that we have. We have right now in our company, community, we have micro commitments. So whether it's like, again, you sign a, you know, NDA before we go in further, but if, even if it's like, you know, like to partner with us, we have um, our small product that we give and well, let's back up. It's, it's our podcast, Can, you know, helping people to convince themselves they should listen to our podcast and that they're going to get benefit from that. And on that podcast, we give them that invitation to take part in other things that we might have. Maybe it's TSC Plus, which is our, you know, private community that we're uh, we're building so they can come in and take part in that. It's a little easy thing. What? It's $100 for 90 days to be a part of the community, dollar a day, essentially. So that's a little one. And then they come in there and they see some of the other training content that we have and they, they want to get into some of our cohorts and then they get upgraded to some of that. So it's just these little 
little commitments that they continue to have um, throughout it. And eventually they get to coaching or maybe, you know, come to our events or whatnot. Anyways, but that's a long-winded answer. <laughs> Dude, I love it. Especially that story about that lady who didn't say, hey, come and buy this $500 product. Is hey, do you want to come into my store? And I absolutely love that because, look, man, if you've been to India, similar vibes, right? Um, I've I've not been to India too many times, but the times I've been, it's it's exactly that. You're getting sold left, right, and center as you're walking, right? Um <laughs> And it just reminds that story really took me back. But also I hope that story shifted people's perspectives as to get the initial yes. So you earn the opportunity for the big yes later on. Now, dude, listen, there is so much in your book from everything around how to think like an entrepreneur and become an intrapreneur inside of your organization to learning how to stop being so presumptuous and focus on being assuring as a seller. So there is so much for uh, people to get into. So dude, where can people grab a copy of Sell It Like a Mango, man? Where can people grab that? Yeah, so there's two things. You can go to Amazon, go to the spot there. And if you'd like to hear me uh, read it, you can go ahead and get the Audible book um, or you can go ahead and get the physical book and um, you can go just get that from Amazon. If you're looking for bulk purchase for a team or whatnot, just reach out to me. Directly, Donald at the salesevangelist.com. Donald at the salesevangelist.com. I'm on all platforms as Donald C. Kelly. So you can hit me up there as well. And let me know that you've heard me on the influential communicator. I say it right now. I get it right. You got it. <laughs> hey. Hey. Influential communicator. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, bro. You nailed it this time. I love it, man. I love uh, it. Dude, tell me this though, before we do finish up here though, who do you look up to as an influential communicator and why? Because I always like to ask this question because I want to see if I can get that person on the show. But when people say Steve Jobs, obviously that's tricky for many reasons. So, yeah. All right. So I, I can't go, can't go esoteric and go deep like that. Um, yeah. 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 Somebody that I find that is an effective communicator these days. One that I, mm-hmm. I'm going to get somebody reachable because again, you know, some of these are the ones that are, you know, you, you can't go too big on that. But um, yeah, I really like, so I'm, can I just name with several of them? Yeah, dude, as, as many that come okay. to mind, really. All right. So one, um, Jeb Blunt, obviously Jeb does a okay. fantastic job of what he, uh, the way he does things. The tag team, him and Anthony in Arena, Anthony does a fantastic job with that too. I would also recommend like, it's an individual that, I'm sure you all probably Anita. I'm sure if you've um, if you've gotten a chance to connect with Anita before, nah. it's going to kill me now. I'm not saying her last name, and I just sent her an email, but um, I could drop you a message with her. But Anita, she's a uh, she's way cool. Um, okay. In in our in my space, came to my event and was just really really good. And the reason why I like the way she communicated just keeps it very simple. Dewan Brown is also another huge communicator that I I really like. Dale Dupree, somebody that I I feel is you know do, Anita Nielsen. Um, Dale Dupree does some, if you from just see from his content that he put out, a big storyteller, and that's been able to help him grow his brand and just like help influence a lot of people with the sales uh, rebellion. So he's cool. You can find some stuff on him as well out there. I mean, that's a handful just like top of my head, like people that I look up to and, and definitely, you know, watch and learn from. Um, so, and Linda Yates. Linda Yates. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, we've had Anthony. Linda Yates. Um, she was so I said it again. Coach, um, my speaking coach. And, Linda Yates. Yep. So. Oh, dope. 
Awesome. Okay, awesome. I'll have to, I don't know Linda, so I'll have to check her out or Anita, but we've had Anthony on the show. We've had Dale on the show. So there's some good names for us, man. Yeah. Some good names. But listen, bro, thank you for your time and energy. I always love your energy, man. Every time I kick it with you. And also our friendship is recent. Like yeah. I'd say like a month, right? But I already feel like the moment we connected, I was like, I feel like I've known this guy for years. So <laughs> you got that energy, man. You got that energy, bro. So listen, man. ladies and gents, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the Donald Kelly. If you did, hit us with a review, man. Tell us how much you love the show and I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice because i tell you what my friend my big mission is to help b2b sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right. I'll see you on the other side.